All right, so last week we started with Rabbi ben Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai, um, the two different allusions to how do we know that Ayn Tachas Ayn is Momen, where do we see that in the Chumash? Today we're going to try to get through the the rest of the Amarayim, Tanayim. We'll see if we have time. If not, we'll finish it last, next week. But Siyat uh, HaShemaya, we're going to do our best. So we'll start off with Rabbi Yishmael. Says the Gemara as follows: The Bei Rabbi Shmuel Tana, the Bei Rabbi Shmuel taught as such. Amakra, the Torah says, "Kain yenasin bo," so too you should give to him. Ve'inasina elamamon, and the only expression we have of nasina giving over is mamon. So therefore, we see that the fact that it says "Kain yenasin bo," so too you should give to him, that tells us. That when it comes to the punishment, it necessitates nasina, which means you have to pay. Yes, the Gemara Elamiyata, if that's true, Kasha Adam. So when the Torah says when a person gives a wound to their friend, since the language of Nasina is indicative of a monetary payment, so Bo that discusses when a person gives a wound to his friend, the yitain is an inappropriate word. It shouldn't say yitain according to that. That would mean that it's mamun. Obviously, it doesn't mean mamun. So if yitain can mean to actually physically hurt someone, then so too, when the Pasuk says, then maybe that's also referring to some form of corporal punishment. So he responded, There's... And uh, a redundancy, there's an extra pasuk, not a redundancy, I'm sorry, there's a, a superfluous pasuk. And that's what they're expounding. Mechti, let's see. When a person gives a wound to someone of his nation, that which he does, so too you should do to him. If it says already, why did it say Kenyan Asinbo? So too you should give to him. We already indicated that there's a form of punishment here. Shmami, no, we could derive from that redundancy Mamun. We can learn it from here Mamun. Now, we're going to come back to this, but let's get an initial read and then we're going to try to clarify this more. So says the Gemara, once that's true, Kasha Yitin Mum Ba'adam Lamali. So how come then, if Nesina is Mamun, when it says the original pasuk of Kasha Yitin Mumba Adam, why does it say Yitin Boom? It says Kasha Yase Mumba Adam. That's what really what it should say. So the Gemara answers, Since it already taught to me, Kenyan Asinbo, the language of Nasina, to indicate that you're paying money for the damages, So too, in order to have some, in order to have some linguistic uniformity, it used the same language of Nasina. Now, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves here, what's the nature of this drasha? The nature of the drasha is the fact that it says, Nesina. That's what you read the original, you know, Be'er Bishmael. It says, Kenyan bo, mamon. And yet, at the end of the day, it seems like the reason that we have a drasha is not from the fact that it says a language of Nesina, it's from the fact that there's an additional language. There's a superfluous language in the Pasuk. So let's see the Psukim. Let's see how maybe we can try to work these two things together. And then let's revisit the Gemara. So the Psukim are in source 2, uh, 2a. That's in Vayikra, Perak Haftalet, Pasuk Yates, Pasuk Chaf. says the Pasuk as follows. When a person gives a wound to someone of his nation, the wound that he gave, Kenya Asilo, Suto should be done to him. 
Then the Pasuk continues, Sheva tachas sheva, a break for a break, ayin tachas ayin, an eye for an eye, shein tachas shein, a tooth for a tooth, kasha yitin mumba adam, kein So too, when you give a wound to a person, you should give it to him as well. So now, what would have happened if the Chumash just said, And then it said, Period. And stop there. The fact that it says, Does that teach us anything? My assumption is not. What does it teach us? So what does it, yes, teach us? From the end of the Pasuk, it says, it teaches us there has to be a Nesina given over to the person who did the damages originally. Now the whole discussion is, what's the nature of that Nesina? Is the nature of that Nesina corporal punishment or is that Mamon? So the way I would like to propose is that really, from the language of Nesina itself, you couldn't prove it. But now that the Torah has something additional, it has this last part of the Pasuk, the Torah didn't have to write that. If we're just teaching corporal punishment, all it had to tell me, period. And I would have come to the same conclusion. The fact that the Torah actually had the superfluous wording of there that's teaching me it's actually not superfluous, it's teaching me an additional halacha. What's that additional halacha? What the Pasuk adds. What's the Pasuk adding? Nasina. So from that, the fact that the Torah went out of its way to write this additional part of the Pasuk, and there there's an interesting wording through which we could derive a new halacha, that's what allows us, that's what indicates to us that the language of Nasina here is meant to be expounded literally, and therefore you pay money. And we know that to be true from the fact that the Torah added this extra part of the Pasuk. Now that we learned that, ask the Gemara, but we, that in part of that additional part of the Pasuk is Kasha Yitain Mumba Adam. So how can you tell me if it's kasha yitin mumba adam that nesina means mamanet? There it's physical. So the answer is no, that came in light to make a linguistic, uh, you know, a linguistic pattern in uh, the Pasuk. So now, once we did that, how do we know what to stress? We know what to stress because the only thing which taught me something new was the kenyan asinbo, was the, the nature of the punishment. And since we, it, the Torah went out of its way to add it, it must be teaching me something. And if I took literally to mean a wound, that wouldn't have the Torah wouldn't have to tell me that. So that's how we want to read the Gemara. That the Gemara is coming along and telling me, That's true, at the end of the day, that's talking about Mammon. So they answered, No. Bishmel said, It's Krayasir Darshi. Really, there's an extra pasuk here. Mechdik siv that see how do we know in the pesukim viishki tumamuta when a person gives a wound to someone of his nation. Kasher also kenyaselo. So to that which he did, we should do to him. So answer the Gemara that we know already. The tit for tat when it comes to physical, we know kenyanosin bolamili. So why does the Torah have this extra part of the pasuk? The the reason the Torah we can extrapolate kenyanosin bol is because it was superfluous. So what's that teach me? Mamun. Aye. Kasha yitin mumba adam lamali. Once that's true, then why do, what do we do with the original part of the second half of the Pasuk? Kasha yitin mumba adam. It says yitin. So there the Gemara says, I did a bikra. Uh, I did nothing, but kasha nami kasha yitin mumba adam. The same way it wanted to create a linguistic similarity. 
And since it was creating a linguistic similarity, it could utilize a language of Nesina, even forgiving of a wound, where normatively we wouldn't have done as such. So that's going to be our proof, our give and take in Be'er Bishmol. Now Be'er Bishmol is not challenged. Be'er Bishmol goes unchallenged. We don't have any kind of questions on him. So if you're looking for an allusion to the fact that Ayin Tachas Ayin this is our first allusion in the Gemara that the Gemara has proposed that we haven't challenged. So it seems like a very good allusion. So now we're up to Be'er In order, Before we start Be'er B'chiyah, I want to see some psukim. And then we'll get into the Gemara. The, the Psukim are in source 3a from Devorim Perkyotes Pas Psukim Yilcheslu Chafalif. So the Psukim are talking about Edus and punishment for Edus for false testimony. So the Psukim says, Valas Vadoshi Hashriftim Hetiv. The judges will research, they'll test out the defendant well. Vihine Eid Shekar Heid. And now they'll find that one of the Witnesses that gave testimony was lying. Sheker on the Be'ochiv. And he said a false testimony about his brother. Therefore, the court will adjudicate for him the same punishment that his false testimony theoretically would have incurred upon the defendant. And through that, will eliminate, expel the evil from our midst. And the people who weren't punished They'll hear about it and be afraid to give false testimony. And they won't continue to do again. Like this evil action that was done within your midst. And you shouldn't have mercy. Your eyes shouldn't have mercy. It should be a life for a life. Ayin ba'ayin, an eye for an eye. Shane b'shane. A tooth for a tooth. Yad b'yad. A hand for a hand. Regal b'ragal. A foot for a foot. So these are the psukim. The psukim are referring to the punishment that's given to someone who's given false testimony, lying during giving testimony, and we caught them doing so. So now that we have a background in the Psukim, let's say Be'er Rabichia together. It says the Heilige Gemorot, the Holy Gemara, the Be'er Rabichia Tana, the Beis Midrash of Rabichia taught as such, Amakro Yad Be'yad. The Torah says Yad Be'yad, right, in our last Psukim, one of them was Yad Be'yad, a hand for hand. So the Gemara expounds, why does it say Yad Be'yad? It's referring to something which was given over from one hand to another hand. What's that object giving from one hand to the other hand? Mamun, that's money. What goes from hand to hand? Money. So yes, the Gemara, the Miyata. If that's true, that we're going to extrapolate from the fact that the Torah says Yad Biyad unnecessarily. So Regal Regal Nami, Hachihu. So when the Torah says afterwards, Yad Biyad Regal Regal, so maybe we could only give a punishment which. Uh, something that goes between foot to foot. What goes between foot to foot? So obviously, nothing, right? So if there's nothing. So who told the Gemara to take Yad Biyad so literally to teach us that's the whole nature of the punishment There's also included within the Pasuk, Regal Beregal. And that's not going to teach us the nature of the punishment. So Ami Debe Rebichia, so Debe Rebichia responded as follows. There's a, an, uh, a superfluous part of the Pasuk. There's an additional part of the Pasuk, which is unnecessary. Let's see. It says here, you should do to them like they plotted to do to their brother. We should give the false witnesses the same punishment that they're planning to give through the brother, through their testimony. And if you thought that we're going to give them tit for tat, literally, yad yad lamali, 
So why did the Torah have to say you had to be yad? Obviously, it says already v'asi similar kasher zamam. So why do you have to say explicitly yad be yad? The fact that Torah came out of its way to tell me yad be yad that teaches me mamam. So regal beragal amali. So why does it tell me a foot for a foot? And says the Gemara, I did chsiv yad be yad since it told me already yad be yad to teach me mamam. Kasev nami regal beragal. So to it taught me regal beragal. Right, we call this poetic license. So now this is a, a bit of a bigger chiddush than than Beir Bishmal. Beir Bishmal told us before that we can take a meaning of a word, which is not the literal meaning, and say that the Torah utilized that you know meaning of a word, that word specific, to make some kind of a literary pattern of word usage in psukim. Within one pasuk, here, the Gemara is taking it much, much further. Beirub is saying, "Really, why do we have pasuk chafalif? Pasuk chafalif, v'lo chaser neecha nefesh benefesh ein ba'ein shein b'shein yad b'yad v'ega b'regel." We already have asisim l'kasha zam nasos. So there, the answer is, once the teacher says yad b'yad, so yad b'yad, fine. But why does it have four other cases? Nefesh benefesh ein ba'ein shein b'shein regel b'regel. Why do we have that? The answer is we don't need it. We actually have entire parts of the Psukim, which according to the Derech Pshad, the, the, the halachic understanding, so here, it's actually totally superfluous. So why is it written? For poetic license. It's poetic. It's poetic. Why not? It sounds nice. It makes it more dramatic. That's the Gemara's answer. So now we don't, the Gemara doesn't attack Beit It's an interesting thing. That the Gemara feels like he could tell you that all these parts of the Psukim are additional and it's po- it's a poetic freedom that they're taking to make it sound more dramatic. Interesting. Now, if I was going to try to explain to you Pshat Gemara, and I just told you, yeah, just take entire parts of Psukim, and you know what? Poetic. It's poetic. Don't take it so seriously. The Chumash was just, uh, it had extra words that it could throw out, and so it used them, but you know, yeah, we don't have to really understand where they're coming from. Right, obviously we don't say such things. Obviously. So how could the Gemara say it here? So I would assume that, you know, the, the Ramban already tells us that the entirety of Torah, the Ramban writes this in the introduction of the, to his commentary in the Chumash, that the entirety of Torah is, you know, Shemus of Hashem, the names of God. What does that mean on our level? It means that a name is an expression of a person, right? So when I think of Shimon and Ruvain and Moshe, the, these are all people that their name expresses a certain character, a certain way to relate to the world. So different shemos of Hashem are ways which Hashem is expressed in the world. So now the Torah is the manifestation of divinity in the world. So the entirety of Torah are shemos of Hashem. Now, that being said, the Torah exists on different levels. We know there's something called Pshat, Remez, Drash, Sod, Pardes, and so, my assumption is as follows. That in order for Beir Abchi to say this, so it has to be that on a level of pshat, in the, in the level of basic understanding and the deriving halacha and practical halacha, so then these extra psukim don't have a basis through which we can expound any halachas from them. And that's what Beir Abchi means, that since it already told us Yad Biyad, it told us all these other things as well for the dramatic literary effect. That being said, on the other levels of 
you know, planes of the Torah's existence. So every single letter here is actually very, very important. You know, and if you have, if you're missing one of these letters, the whole Sefer Torah is possible. If we didn't have Regal Baragal, even though it's not teaching me a din, it's not teaching me a halacha, nonetheless, if it's missing in the Chumash, it's possible because part of the expression, part of the reality that Torah exists on is missing. Now that being said, obviously we don't have the ability to go ahead and say which parts of the Torah are lacking or not. When it comes to the Gemara, part of Torah Shabal Peh, which was canonized by Chazal, so there they can tell us, at least on a level of Pshat, if part of the Chumash is meant to be derived halachically or not. But once that was sealed and the canon of the Torah Shabal Peh told us which parts of Torah are excluded from halachic derivation, so then my assumption would be that we can't go ahead and do that on our own. But that's that's Beit of Chia's source. Beit of Chia's source is the fact that it says Yad Biyad unnecessarily is teaching us that it has to be a punishment which is given over Yad Biyad. And that's money, and that would be his allusion to the fact that that would be his allusion to the fact that Ayin mean money and not actually taking someone's eye. So our next proof in our chain of proofs is Abaye. So let's see Abaye together. Abaye, Abaye says as follows, We can uh, find an allusion to the fact that it's money from a teaching of Bechizgia, the Tana de Bechizgia, because the Beis Midrash of Bechizgia told us as follows, Ayin tachas ayin, nefesh tachas nefesh. It is an eye for an eye and a life for a life. Velo nefesh ayin tachas ayin. But you can't obligate someone to give up their life in an eye for an eye which they popped someone out. And if you're going to tell me that if someone blinds someone, we blind them also in retribution, we're going to find, he guarantees, there's going to be at least one circumstance that someone not only loses their sight, but they also die due to that punishment just because they took someone's eye out. Because while you're going ahead and blinding them, they're going to die in the process. So it comes along in the body and says as follows. Let's say ayin tachas ayin means literal. It's an eye for an eye. You pop someone's eye out, we'll pop your eye out. So he said, even though the majority of people might live, not a problem, eye for an eye, it'll be smooth. There is a minority of people that if you remove their eye, they're not going to make it. They're going to get infected, whatever it is, they're not going to make it. They won't be able to live past that injury. And therefore, that means that the Torah is dictating a punishment which is not equal across the board because some people, yes, will lose their eye, but some people are going to lose their life as well. And if that's true, the Torah can't mean literal. The Torah can't make it that there's going to be people that die due to a punishment which is meant to be applicable for everyone. And therefore, proves Abaye that it can't be that ayin tachas ayin is meant to be taken literally, and ayin for ayin can't be taken literally. Ask the Gemara, my kushil, why is that difficult? Dilma mimad amdinane. Maybe we'll give him an assessment, a medical assessment. We'll bring in a medical team. If we can pop his eye out due to the assessment of the medical team, so avdinan, then we'll pop his eye out. But if the medical team says, you know what, this guy has a weak disposition and we're afraid, if you actually pop his eye out, he's going to die, then then we won't kill him. I'm sorry, we won't pop his eye out. We won't do it. The medical team says we can't. 
and what are you going to ask me? We're going to assess him. And the medical team will say, you know what? We think he could do it. He could take it. We'll pop his eye out. And now we popped his eye out because we listened to medical advice. And now, unfortunately, the guy died. The medical team was incorrect. If he dies, let him die. What's the big deal? Asked the Gemara. Why? Now the Gemara is giving me a precedent that I know this to be true. Miloy Tanan was not taught in the Mishnah. Gabi Malkus, in regards to corporal punishment, 39 lashes that a person gets for transgressing a prohibition in the Torah. Amdul Meis, if they assess him a certain amount of lashes, the Torah says, Arbaim Yakenu, he hit him 40 times. Chazal Darshan, that means to be 39 times. And there's an assessment that we can give you up to 39 times. That being said, a strong guy, the doctor will say, you know what, this guy can take 39 lashes. But if a guy is a weaker disposition, they could say, you know what, this guy can't take 39. He can only take 18. So if he transgresses a lav, basically will give him 18 lashes. And there's some guys that say even weaker, he can only take three. And there's some guy that says he can only take one. He takes one, fine. Two is going to be too much for him. So we exempt him entirely from getting Malchus. So that's a din. The doctors tell us how much he can, he can survive up to 39, out of up to 39. They give that assessment. Mason gives him that punishment. Now he dies. Under the hand of the chazan, the representative of the Beistin. They call it a chazan. The chazan is the one who gives the malchus. So there, in that case, he's potter. He's exempt. So the Gemara brings a proof that what are you going to tell me that it can't be ayin tachas ayin literally because there are times someone's going to die. I can prove to you from Malka Sarbayim, from corporal punishment, that the same way that if someone dies after the assessment of Beisdin, that they're not liable for that, and we should have given them those lashes. So too, when it comes to Ayin Tachas Ayin, as long as they go past uh, a medical assessment, and a medical assessment says they can take the removal of the eye, they won't die from it. So that's a legitimate form of punishment. That's the question here that Gemara has on Abaye. Now this question is difficult for multiple reasons. Mom is difficult for multiple reasons. Um... But first, before we get to the difficulties, I want to show you a few sources in Maseches Makos. And after we see those few sources, we're going to go to try to take this a piece apart, piece by piece, to try to really understand what's the derivation here. So the first piece I want to show you is a Mishnah. The Mishnah is on Chavbeiz Amad Beiz. There the Mishnah is referring, it's telling us how to give Malko Sarbaim, what did that look like, and the beast didn't tie his hands down, and he stood up, and he was bent over a little bit, what type of whip, where did they whip him, etc. Then it says, Rimeis Tachas Yodol, that if the person, if the person who, the defendant, who's getting his punishment right now, died under the hands of the Chazan, the messenger, the representative of the beast, who was sent there to punish him, then he's potter, he's exempt. Now what's he exempt from? So there the Diniz is exempt from Golos. We know, it's the whole second parak of Meseches Makos, that if a person kills someone accidentally, they're obligated to be sent to Golos, to exile. There were cities of refuge, six of them, three, six of them, three in Avera Yardin on the Transjordan, and three of them in Eretz Yisrael. 
the science from those six, there were 42 Levite cities, that also a person could take refuge in. So 48 cities in total that a person could take refuge in, they killed someone by accident. That's called Galus. This Chazan Knesses, this Chazan who hid him and killed him accidentally, since it was within the amount of lashes that the doctors assessed he could take, he's exempt from going to Galus, even though he killed him accidentally. Why is he exempt from Galus? Says the Rivon, the Rivon is in lieu of Rashi and Mesechus Makos. Rashi died in the middle of writing his commentary in Mesechus Makos, and the Rivon took over. So the Rivon says, Why is he exempt? He's a messenger of Beisdin. And we said earlier, on Davches, we're coming to exclude father who hits his son and a messenger of Beisdin. Now what's this mean? So let's see the Mishnah that he's quoting. The Mishnah is Davches. I brought you the Mishnah here. In source 4c, someone throws a stone into their, into their domain and ends up killing someone. If the victim had permission to be in his domain, in his courtyard, then then the person who threw the stone is obligated, he's liable to go to Galus, to exile. Why? Because he should have been more careful. He knew that other people had permission to be in his courtyard. Vimlav, but if he, the victim didn't have permission to be in there, he doesn't have to go into exile. Why? Shnemar says in the Torah, he has to chance upon his friend in the forest. Why is it say in the forest? What's unique about that? What halach is that teaching us? The same way a forest, the damager and the damaged, the attacker and the victim had both had prop, uh, the ability to be there, they both had rishus to be there. So to any property that both the victim and the attacker had the ability to be in there, that is a place where the attacker, even if it was accidental, he has to go to Galus, he has to be exiled if he accidentally kills someone in such an area. It's excluding the courtyard of private property. That a nizik, the damaged, the victim didn't have permission to be there in the first place, and since it's not comparable to Yar, to a forest, therefore he's exempt from Galas. Now, comes along what's relevant to us, Abba Shal Oimer, he has a different way to understand this Pasuk of Asha Yavo Yar. What is it? Ma Chativas Eitzim Rishos. What are you doing in the forest? You're going to chop wood? It's the same way, just like chopping wood is a volitional activity, Afkor Rishos. So too, anytime you're doing any volitional activity, that's when you're liable to be sent to Galas. What's that excluding? A father who hits his son, and a, stu- a teacher hitting his uh, student, or a messenger of Mezdin, all three of these are examples where it's not volitional, it's a mitzvah. You're obligated to do so. And since you're obligated to do so, therefore, you're not liable for exile under the circumstance. Now, I don't want to get into whether or not there's a mitzvah. Nowadays, the basic assumption is that there's no mitzvah for a father and a son. It's probably asr under almost all circumstances. Um, same with the Rebbe. We know whoever heard of such a thing. Nowadays, I think you get fired and put in jail. Um, so, the practicality, the practical application of the, that part of the Mishnah, I don't want to get into. Um, but at least Shliach Beistin, Shliach Beistin, we see that if a person is giving Malkus that were adjudicated by a Beistin, 
So there that's called a mitzvah. He's doing a mitzvah. And since he's doing a mitzvah, so therefore, he's exempt from Golas. So now get back to our case. According to the Mishnah on Beis, the Rivan told us the reason is because he's involved in a mitzvah. Fine, that's the reason why he's exempt. Now, let's go back to our Gemara. It's been a few minutes, so let's reiterate. Abai says, the reason why Ayin Tachas Ayin means money is because if I take out his eye, sometimes he'll die from such an injury. There will be people that will die from such an injury, and therefore it's Ayin Tachas Ayin and not Ayin V'Nefesh Tachas Ayin. That's Abai's claim. And the Gemara says, what kind of claim is that? Just to make an assessment, a medical assessment. If, you can, if the medical assessment says he can take it, so great. If the medical assessment says he can't take it, so then, <laughs> don't give it to him. I will die even after the medical assessment. Then you're exempt. It's not a problem like I can prove to you from Marcus. So number one is that Marcus, you had no such proof. What's the Gemara's proof from Marcus? From the Gemara's proof from Marcus, we see that an assessment, an omade, can create, it can define what are considered hakoshal mitzvah. It can tell us when is this guy hitting his friend a mitzvah and when is it not. That's what it can, yes, tell us. But to tell us more than that, to tell us that what? That, that this is a legitimate punishment? Where do I see that? All it tells me is that since he's a makosh mitzvah, it can exempt me from galos. Where does it say that assessment is a legitimate means to determine whether or not this is a proper punishment? That I don't see from... The, the concept of omade from the concept of assessment from Akas. So number one is how can the Gemara prove the legitimacy of a punishment from vis-a-vis a medical assessment and to support that from the concept of Malkus. Malkus we know is a legitimate punishment. We just want to know what constitutes uh, the, right number, the right number of Malkus to give and medical assessments are means to do so. So what's the connection? Why is it, why, how can you prove to me the legitimacy of a punishment from a punishment which that's not the discussion? We know the, the punishment of, of Malakus is legitimate. That's a pasuk. The two things are not connected. Omid, all we see from Omid, from assessment, is that it can tell me what constitutes hakash mitzvah. So that's number one. What's the Gemara's proof whatsoever? Now, this question is so interesting, right? Because the, the Gemara itself, while it's challenging Abaye, says, Dilma Meimed Amdinanei. Dilma Meimed Amdinanei. What's this Dilma Meimed Amdinanei? Maybe there's an Omid. What do you mean, maybe there's an Omid? Maybe not. And maybe not. Who said there's an Omid? So, my assumption is as follows. The Gemara is challenging as such. The Gemara has no idea whether there's a concept of Omid by Ayin Tachas Ayin. Now, the Gemara knows there is an, a concept of Omid when it comes to Malkus. Now, number one, how do we know that? Pasuk, it's a drasha. There's an Omid, we derive how much he can take. Fine, it's a drasha. Now, that's the only place, as far as I know, in corporal punishment, in based in punishment, that there's something called an Omid. There's an assessment, a Pasuk. Now, the Gemara wants to go ahead and say, you know what, we have found this concept by Malkus. Maybe we could extend that also to ayin tachas ayin, to this expression of corporal punishment. Now the Gemara has no reason to do so, it has no source to do so, but the Gemara is saying maybe we could do that. Now if we could do that, then the Gemara is proposing we have a logical basis to go ahead 
and say that ayin tachas ayin being literal is legitimate. Now Abai could always respond, but yeah, but who told you to make that extension? So that's our second point here. That is Dilma Mimin Abdinanai, even the Gemara understands is a Chiddush, is a novel concept. So now like this. So now that we understood, first of all, we have to we understood that the expression of Omid here, of an assessment, is a, a novel idea. We wouldn't have known that, you know, from a basic level. And secondly, aside that from being a novel idea, what's the application of it? Usually Omid all it does is tell me that I'm an exemption from Gullus. How could it prove and determine the legitimacy of a punishment? Now, really there's a fundamental question here which one could ask on this whole halacha. And the question is as follows. How come we need the svara, the logic of the mitzvah ka'asik? Why do I need such a svara? We know there's a, a, a concept called ones. Ones de rechman That if someone does something and it happens against their will, so there, they're not held liable for that action. So inasmuch as we have a concept called Onus Terachmanapatre, that something happens against your will, you're not liable for it. So why right now the Chazan of Beisdin, the representative of Beisdin, who's giving over these punishments, why is he need the Svorah of the Mitzvah Ka'asik to exempt him? He should be exempt because it's an Onus, it's against his will. Beisdin told him to do it, so he's listening to Beisdin. Why do I need the Svarah of a Mitzvah Ka'asik? I have the Svarah of Onis of Kola Tarakula. Yeah, it's a strong, strong question here. This question is so strong. I brought to you a Ramban. The Ramban is in source 4G. The Ramban says as follows. The Shneich Beizdin. Shneich Beizdin. Mashmad alav mishum mitzvah patar. Alav mishum shekim shamdua inasol. Says the Ramban. Pella. That I'm going to read to you the Mishnah. That Shneich Beizdin is not exempt because of mitzvah. Rather, why is he exempt? He's exempt because it's an oinus. And even though it's taught next to Ha'av, Hamakas, Benoah, Rabbi Tamido, which are exempt because of a mitzvah ka'asik, there there was no omid. There was no medical assessment telling us how much each one could take. The father, the Rebbe, acted on his own volition. So there you don't have a svara of onis. You do have a svara of a mitzvah ka'asik. Sheikh Beistin. Since Svara indicates there's a Svara of Onis, because there was an assessment, a medical assessment, told him how many times to hit. Therefore, therefore, he's an Onis. There's a Pella. So Abishol, let's read Abishol according to the Ramban, just to appreciate how far, how seriously he's taking this question. Abishol says, Abishol Oimer, Machatibis Eitzim Rishos. The same way chopping down wood in a forest is a volitional activity, Afkorshos so too, the only time you're going to be liable for exile is when you're involved in a volitional activity. Yotza of which excludes a father hitting his son, a rebbe hitting his student, period. V'shneich Beizdin, I'll tell you, there's another case called Shneich Beizdin, where someone who's giving corporal punishment, on behalf of Beizdin, is exempt because of a totally different concept, nothing to do with Abishol, it has to do with principle that is found across the Torah called Ones. Wow, unbelievable. If, it, if someone read the Mishnah like that, with Ramadi Shiva, how could he do such a thing? Abishol saying a drasha. Chativis eats and Rishos. Avkol Rishos. And now you're throwing in a totally different neat, it, uh, exemption called Ones. Unbelievable. That's how seriously the Ramban is taking this question. Why do we need the start of the Mitzvah Kalsik? It's not like this. Comes along the Rambam. 
And the Rambam says as follows. So to a Rebbe hitting his Talmud, or a representative of Beistin that's hitting a defendant who's refusing to come to be tried in court and kills him accidentally. So in that case, you're exempt from Galas. Why? It says in the Torah, you have to chop down wood. The only time you're liable for killing someone accidentally is when you're involved in a volitional activity. All these three examples are examples of people who are involved in a mitzvah. But what I'm going to focus on is what's the Rambam's case of Shliach Beisdin. The Rambam says it's a messenger, a representative of Beisdin, that hit a defendant that was refusing to be tried and killed him accidentally in that process. What? What? Let's see how the Ravid is. So the Ravid is on this. Amar Avram says the Rambam, the Ravid, I'm sorry. Zelu Shemanu Mi'olam. Moshe ben Maimoyin. Where are you coming from? Zelu Shemanu Mi'olam. You made up a case? You made up a case. There's no such case. The Gemara talked about such a case. So there's a guy who's supposed to go to Beisdin and the guy hit him to get him to come because he was, he was refusing to be tried. You made up a case, Moshe. Where'd you get that from? So what's the case? Says the rabbit, Al-Sheikh Beisdin. He's a messenger of Beisdin. Shumalkim imasham to a Beisdin. Beisdin assessed how much he could take. A doctor assessed how much he could take. And the defendant died while he was getting his corporal punishment. Period. Comes along the rabbit and says, Aramam, he made up a din. Now, where did the rabbit, where's the Ramam coming from? Where's the Ramam coming from? The answer is Pashat. The Rambam was bothered by the Ramban's question. Here's an ones. If there's an assessment, if there's an assessment, there's an ones. There's an ones. Whew. So that obviously can't be what the din of the Mishnah of Abba was talking about. So where the Mishnah on Chavbez says, Imes Tachas Yodo, it's talking about, the Mishnah there is talking about during the process, that's explicit in the Mishnah, it's talking about during the process where based in adjudicated that he gets a certain amount of lashes and he dies during that amount of lashes. There, we can fall back on the logic of the Ramban. There, that's an ones. Obviously, he's going to be exempt. I don't need Abashol to teach me he's going to be exempt under those circumstances. That's ones of Kolotar Kula. Aye, so what's Abashol's Chiddush? Abashol's Chiddush is when he dies, getting Malchus from a representative based in without an assessment, and I don't know, made. What's that? The Rambam made up a case, you're right. He made up a case of a baldin, which is Nimna Lolavidin. Yeah. Unbelievable. But the Rambam agrees to the Ramban's claim to the extent that he was willing to make up a new case of the Mishnah Dachas. Now, what exactly is the Machlikas Rambam Raivid? It's not really our sugya. If you want, there's a very nice safer on Mesachas Makos called Matsios Ish. There's a piece on this, on Dachas, on the Mishnah over there. Ayn Sham. But in regards to us, this is a this is, this is a Yeshua. This saves us. Why? Because that that we're willing to call the Omid of Bastin and Ones. We proved to you from the Rishonim, the Ramban, the Rambam, that there's a concept called Ones. And that concept of called Ones applies to the din of an Omid. What does that teach us? That teaches us that an Omid can dictate the 
Torah's medical perspective on the situation. So the same way, from a medical perspective, the Torah's medical perspective, if someone dies within the allotted amount of Malchus that Beistin said he should get, that's called an illness. It's something that's out of his control. It's something out of his hands. It's an un, unknown circumstance which you don't have to take into account when giving the punishment, when determining the punishment. So, so too, when it comes to the Omeid of Ayin Tachas Ayin, if medical opinion is that which by removing the eye, there's no existential question of life or death, so then that would be a legitimate form of punishment. The Torah recognizes that this is a fair thing to do. Eye gonna, if he, he might die in the middle. He might die due to it. But that's not something which is part of the ayin. That's something which is beyond our scope. That's something beyond the, the realm of halachic concern, a medical concern. And since that is an, a reality which is outside of medical and therefore halachic concern, so that would therefore not be a reason to delegitimize this as a means of punishment. And therefore, the Mishnah, the Gemara is a great proof. So what's the Gemara's question on Abaye? So Abaye says, You know what, Abaye, you're, you're right. Really, ayin, for nefesh and ayin, is not fair. But, Dilma, if we're able to go ahead and extend the usage of the concept of an omid to tell us that what's considered a real medical concern and therefore a halachic concern for each circumstance if the defendant's able to take it from a medical perspective, some will give it to him. And if he can't take it from a medical perspective, so we won't give it to him. If we're able to say it like that, so then even if he dies in the process, so that's something beyond our grasp. That's something beyond what halacha takes into account. And I can prove that to you from Malchus. Because Malchus, there are times that a person gets Malchus, and he dies in that process. And there he's exempt. The representative based in why? Because it's out of his hands. That that wasn't something which should have happened due to medical knowledge. And we don't have to live in a realm beyond that. Since that's true, since that's true, therefore, Ravashi, I'm saying, therefore, Abaye, you don't have the necessary means to say that your proof is ironclad. We can actually question it. That's how it would be. Go ahead and understand Abaye now. We don't have a ton of time left, so I'm going to try to see Rav Zvid maybe together, and then we'll pick up, uh, I guess, from a Papa next week, Be'ezer Hashem. But at least Rav Zvid, let's try to see now. Says the Gemara, Rav Zvid Mishmide Rava Amar, Rav Zvid in the name of Rava said as follows, Amar Patza, the Torah says you give a wound for a wound, what does that teach us? Litin Sar B'makam Nezek. It teaches us that even though there was a Nezek here, there was permanent damage. Nonetheless, you still have to pay for tsar. And if you were going to think that what? That ayin tachas ayin was literal. The same way that the victim had pain due to his damages. The attacker also had pain from his retribution. So how come the attacker has to pay the victim for... The tsar, the same way the attacker doesn't pay the victim for the nezek, the attacker just gets physical retribution in lieu of that. 
So too, the attacker shouldn't have to pay the victim for the pain he experienced. The attacker just experienced the pain the same way. So how come there has an existence as a Pasuk which tells us Petzatachas Patsa? The fact that there is such a Pasuk teaches us that the payment of Nezik is monetary and the attacker actually isn't experiencing any pain. And therefore he has to give money to the victim. That's what reads proof. Ask the Gemara, my kushil, why is it difficult? Maybe there are people who are very pampered. And they have more, they experience more pain when attacked. And the people who are not so pampered, unless they tara, and they don't have so much pain when you do attack them. Who cares how pampered someone is? The Pasuk could be teaching us to give that they have to give the price differential, meaning to say, Ruvain attacks Shimon. So Ruvain is a tough, rough guy, he attacks people, and Shimon is a pampered guy. So when Shimon got his hand chopped off by Ruvain, let's say he experienced 10 pain points. Now, what do we do in retribution? We chop off Ruvain's hand, but Ruvain's a tough guy. So Ruvain, even though he got his hand chopped off also, he only experienced five pain points. So it comes along the Gemara and says, maybe it says you have to pay for Tsar, even in a circumstance where Nezek was experienced, is teaching us that Ruvain has to pay that difference. He has to pay the value of five pain points. And therefore, Razvin doesn't have a proof. That's the Gemara. Now, the Gemara on its own, we could understand. There's a question here, though, which bothered me terribly. Baruch Hashem, I found the Achreinim asked this question. The question goes as follows. You know, Ruvain came along one day, and he chopped off, he chopped off Shimon's hand. Now, how did he chop it off? He took a machete, he chopped it off. Fine. Now, when we go ahead and remove Ruvain's hand as retribution, how do we remove it? So, I have no idea. Maybe I take a machete, or maybe I put him under general anesthesia and he wakes up and he's missing a hand. Do we have a proof However, we, how we do that? We don't have a proof. The Torah doesn't say. We don't have a drasha here. So, I could have heard that Petzatachas Patsa, the Pasuk was telling me that the same way you caused the hand to be removed and it caused a certain amount of pain, so too we're going to cause you to lose your hand in the same fashion. And that way you'll experience the same pain that he went while he lost his hand. That's how he could have learned the Pasuk. And if that's true, so then what's the question from the onset? Where, where in the world is Zvid coming from? Zvid, what do you want to say? How come this Tsar Bamakam Nezek? I'll tell you why. Because we want to make it that the retribution that the attacker is going through is, is executed in the same fashion that he hurt the victim. That could be the Pasuk of Petza Takas Patza. So that's my question. There are two approaches here that I found in the Achrinim. One is the Mereme Sade of the Nitziv. The Nitziv has a commentary on Chas called Mereme Sade. There he says that maybe we know that already. How do we know that you give the punishment the same way? He brings the Pasuk, Kasha Asa Kenyaselo. The same way he did it, so too you should do to him. The same way you did it, so too you should do to him. Now, that means that the same way that the attacker chopped his hand off with a machete, so too you chop off the attacker's hand with a machete. Fine, maybe, it could be. The problem with this is the Nitziv made up a drasha. The Nitziv is aware of it. The Nitziv says Tzarchin, even on his own explanation. I assume that's why. Because this drasha of Kasha Asa Kinyaselo does not express itself in Talmud Bavli. 
doesn't express itself in Talmud Bavli, it's hard to hear that it's really a puzzle, it's really a drasha, but he's saying maybe that's Pshut Shamikra, maybe. And therefore, we already know that is already. If we know what already is, so then what's Petatachas Patsa teaching me? That's, Rizvid said Mamun, and the attacker said, no, maybe to pay the difference. That's one approach. The other approach is the Chidush Yerim. The Chidush Yerim asks this question, and then he says as follows, you know, if Nezek meant Mamun, then what would we assume? If Nezek means Mamun, that would come along and tell us that, you know, Mamun is really an arbitrary payment, because the use of a hand is priceless, like you've discussed many times. So now, that means if Nezek exists and I'm giving you money, which is essentially an arbitrary payment for that Nezek, so then Petza, Tachas Patza, Tsar, is also an arbitrary payment. There's no money that you could pay me to go under a certain degree of duress and pain. That's priceless. That's invaluable. Now, once that's true, so that payment of Tsar is also arbitrary. So it says the Chedush Yarim, if I have one arbitrary payment of Nezek, Logic should dictate that once I'm paying money arbitrarily and the victim's getting something, it makes absolutely no sense to add on more of an arbitrary payment, a second arbitrary payment. Why would he do that? What's the logic behind it? Anyways, there's no value here which has to be given over to the nizak, to the, to the victim. What value are you giving over to him? Once that's true, so then once I have nizak, I would think I'm always exempt from tsar. The fact that the Torah came along and says Petzatachaspatza tells me no, even though logic says it's illogical, nonetheless, the divine says pay it nonetheless. So says the Khadushirim, the fact that there's a Pasuk that tells me I still have to pay Tsar, even in a circumstance of Nezik, that makes sense to me why I need to psukim. But comes along the Khadushirim and says, But if Nezik was actual that I'm really going ahead and what? Chopping the guy's hand off or moving his eye out, whatever I'm doing. So then, once it's literal, so obviously I'm chopping it off in the same fashion. Or I'm popping the eye out in the same fashion. Once that's true, so then why do I need the second Pasuk? Therefore, it proves the Chidush that it has to be money. That's where it's coming from. Now, this is very bothersome. I feel like I'm missing something in Chidush Yarim. You can look inside, please let me know if you understand it differently. But the question originally was, maybe Tsar is teaching me that what? Did I give him the Nezek in the same fashion that he gave me the Nezek? The answer is that we know that. We know that from Swara. And therefore, the only reason we have a Pasuk of Nezek, of Tsar, I'm sorry, is to teach me that it's money. Is a is wild. I'm saying, you went you went from asking it as a question to just saying making that an assumption. I don't know where that switch happened. How come at one point this is a question and now it became an assumption? This is a difficulty I have with the chedusha rim. But either way, either way you like it. Either the fact that it doesn't make sense to have two arbitrary payments, like he says, with a mammon, and that's why I need to the the pasuk. They're done to see the pasuk, or the nitzvah's drasha of kasha asa kinyaselai. That's what's going to teach us that we knew already the Nezek has to be given over in the same fashion that it was given to the victim. And therefore, that's where we end up with Rav Tzvid's drasha. Okay, that's going to be it for this week. We ran out of time. But Amir Tzashem will start off with Rav Papa next week. 
and finish up and try to see the next Gemara as well. Sing out to the Shmaya.